So Oregon is currently scheduled to have four quarterbacks on the roster in 2024. It could very well stay that way. Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked On Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day, and your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks. If you have not already, please like, comment, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to or watch this show, which today is brought to you by Game Time. Download the Game Time app. Use code Locked On College for $20 off your very first purchase today. Quarterbacks, 2023 moments, and Oregon brings in a transfer at kicker. All that coming up on today's show. But currently, in 2024, Oregon's roster will consist of four quarterbacks. Dylan Gabriel, the Oklahoma transfer, Dante Moore, the UCLA transfer and former Oregon verbal commit, Austin Novosad, four-star recruit in the 2023 cycle and current true freshman, who I really hope we see in the bowl game, and then incoming three-star true freshman, Luke Moga. So that could very well remain because going into 2024, the quarterback room could be a, could be a battle in a couple of ways. Number one, it could be a battle for the number two quarterback spot. And number two, it could be a battle for the number three quarterback spot. I don't think either of those spots are a given. I think we can put a leader in the clubhouse. I think we can assume. But the only thing that I can say with certainty about Oregon's quarterback room for 2024 is that Dylan Gabriel will be the starter. You do not bring in a guy of that caliber who has one year of eligibility left to compete for the starting job. You bring in a guy like that to start, just like Bo Nix, And Gabriel will be the starter. But as for the backup quarterback position, yeah, I can absolutely see that being a battle of sorts. Yeah, I'd I'd put my money, not not, not that I actually am, of course, but I'd put my money on Dante Moore to, to be Oregon's backup in 2024 and starter in 2025. That looks to be the game plan here. But I think that for, you know, next season, carrying four quarterbacks could still make sense. Before I go any further... I want to give a shout out to Rex, by the way, who I bumped into on the Jungle Cruise at Disneyland with my parents. And, you know, he said hi and everything. And uh, my parents thought that was super cool that you watched the show and knew who I was. And Rex, it was awesome talking to you, man. And I appreciate you watching the show every single day. So now that that's uh, taken care of and such, this question came in via the mailbag, which is always open via YouTube comments or on Twitter at smalls underscore 55 or at locked on ducks DMS and mentions are wide open. If you want priority access, go become a locked on ducks insider over at subtext. You get all sorts of perks, including priority mailbag access. It's just $5 a month after a 14 day trial. Absolutely positively not a requirement though. This question from Bender for president 2024. All right, Spencer, do you see any chance of a Darren Thomas versus Nate Costa scenario playing out with Novasad if he stays? Or do you think it's possible for him to beat out Dante Moore for the starting job in 2025? I have to dive into my memory banks a little while. I don't remember there being a you know super visceral battle between Nate Costa and Darren Thomas. Like my recollection 
of that transition from Jeremiah Masoli to whatever came next was, yeah, this Darren Thomas guy, he's going to be it. There, there, there might have been more battle than than I am remembering there. But I think that, you know, for the Ducks, Gabriel is locked in as quarterback one. But Austin Novosad, even if he plans to transfer one day from Oregon, and I'm sure he's thought about that. He seems like a really good kid with a good head on his shoulders, and he's not going to say anything to that effect publicly. You know, he was asked about it ahead of the bowl game and such. But for Novosad, there is plenty of incentive to stick at Oregon next year. Number one, you have the ability to learn under another veteran quarterback. I, I fail to recall a time, college or pro, where that's been a bad thing for a kid's development and growth, especially as a quarterback. Number two, there is no guarantee that Dante Moore is going to be the backup. You'll have a chance to fight for it. You're going to show the coaches in practice what you're capable of. And if you are that much better than him, yeah, there's a built-in advantage because Novosad was – in the room and they decide to bring in Dante Moore anyway. You can absolutely assume that. I don't think you can say with 100% certainty that he is locked in as Oregon's backup quarterback next year. Because if Novosad's better in practice, well, what have we seen the staff do time and time again? Go with what's in the best interest of the team, whatever that move may be. So do I think Dante Moore is the backup? Yep, probably. But do you think that's what Austin Novosad is thinking? Do you think that Novosad is sitting there going, oh, well, I'm just destined to be a third stringer here at Oregon. I'll never make anything of myself. Or do you think it, or do you think he's going to look at, you know, here, here's the other angle that I just kind of thought of as I'm recording the show. If you're Novosad looking at 2024, Dylan Gabriel's a starter. We all know that. But you could have a second year in the system, whereas Dante Moore will have only had one. And going into 2025, you could have the opportunity to beat out Dante Moore. And then if you don't in spring ball, you can transfer and say, hey, I'm a guy who spent two years in a competitive, talented quarterback room under a great offensive coordinator who's been excellent with quarterbacks during his time in college football as an OC. And I was a four-star recruit coming out of high school with plenty of talent. And I've bulked up since then. And I've gotten better and improved. You want to make your if you want to make yourself the most appealing transfer candidate possible at the quarterback spot, by golly, that's a pretty good way to do it. That's a pretty good way to do it. Plus, I really hope, I mean, I really, really hope that Bo Nix comes out in the Fiesta Bowl and everything is clicking. I hope the Ducks blow the doors off of Liberty and that the second half can be all Novosad. I I would be here for the content. I would break down every throw. I would try to get all 22 film and look at every single read he made and didn't made. and every. I, I would be all in on dissecting that sort of stuff. Because if you're Novosad at Oregon right now, on scholarship, in the quarterback room, recruited by this staff, Will Stein and Dan Lanning, you cannot guarantee that there is going to be an opportunity to start elsewhere. For example, Ty Thompson. I think Ty will find a home and be a quarterback somewhere next season. I don't know where, have not heard a peep about where he could end up. 
But that guy was more highly recruited than Austin Novosad was, and he's struggling to find a power team that wants him. Heck, Cam Ward, as I record this show, does not have a home. So when you're at a school like Oregon, just because you were a four-star recruit, just because you know you have potential, does not mean you're automatically going to get an opportunity. Even if it's not a great chance to start at a school like Oregon that's in the power four, it's better than having no chance and playing at a G5. If that's the level of football you always wanted to play and compete at. So I think there is some logic, though I'd understand if he left sooner. I think there is some logic to him sticking it out and saying, no, I'm going to see what I can do in this room how I can position myself, how I can make myself better, go through a quarterback battle against Dante Moore. And if I lose that battle, well, maybe I'm his backup, but maybe I decide that that's put me in a position to go be a starting quarterback elsewhere. Bottom line here, I think that's why you can have four quarterbacks on the roster for Oregon in 2024. I think that bottom line, you can have a great time at whatever event you want to go to by checking out Game time. Game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater events near you. I'm a huge comedy guy, huge comedy guy. I'm going to Jerry Seinfeld in April and a trio of Seinfeld, Gaffigan, and Nate Bargatze in uh, in, in May. Like I'm all about it. And when I want to go get those sorts of tickets, I'm always thinking about game time because that is a place where you can get killer last minute deals, all in prices, fused from your seat, their best price guarantee. Game time takes the guesswork out of buying tickets and you just don't want to be guessing. You know, we like sitting here and guessing here on Locked on Ducks about what Oregon's quarterback room could be because it's fun to discuss. You like it. I like it. It's interesting stuff, but you don't want to guess when you're buying tickets. Take the guesswork out of buying, of buying tickets with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, use code Locked On College for twenty dollars off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code L O C K E D O N C O L L E G E. That's Locked On College for twenty dollars off. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Go check out Game Time today. Great question there from Bender for president. Here's another one from Daniel. Daniel here, every day or love the show. Appreciate you. Number one source of duck news out there. Double appreciate you. I watched pretty much every single Oregon game this year, and they were so exciting to watch, even with the losses to Washington. What was your favorite Oregon game this year? Mine was the Colorado game, shutting down Coach Prime's 3-0 start with way too much hype. This is a really difficult question. I mean, a really difficult question because it is easy to look at the negatives, but that's kind of a human trait is to just always think on the negative, not look at the positive. I have this problem. I played golf earlier today and I, as I often do, and this is something that I really battle with mentally on the golf course. And I've tried to work on my mental game for a long time. It was a big problem for me. Uh, back in high school. And it's still something that I struggle with, but am getting better at, at working towards. And that's trying to appreciate when I do something well, and not just harn- or um, honing in 
on the things that I don't do well. So for example, earlier today, I putted pretty poorly. That's pretty standard. I've never been a very good putter. My strength, the strength of my golf game lies in my ball striking. I hit the ball exceptionally well off the tee. I always have. And I've gotten much better with my irons and wedges over the years. But one thing specifically that I've tried to work on, and I was much better at, I was very happy with myself earlier today, was my ability to emphasize my good shots as much as I negatively emphasize my bad shots. Because when I have a bad shot, I mean, I am every golf meme that you've ever seen on Instagram. I am swearing at myself, just absolutely disgusted. But when the good shots happen, I'm trying to be better about saying, that's exactly what we want to do. I had a great plan. That's how I wanted that shot to go. And that's how everything went. The same thing applies to Oregon season. It's really easy to look at this year and just feel lost to Washington by three, lost the Pac-12 championship game to Washington by three. You can focus on all that sort of stuff because it sticks out. And I think it's a very natural human thing to do. There were so many highs. And I've tried to reemphasize those in the offseason. And I kind of talked about this on yesterday's show to remind myself, I love Oregon. I love the Ducks. I love being a fan, even through all the ups and downs and whatnot. And also, this was a great team. They had an awesome season. It just wasn't perfect. But just because it's not perfect doesn't mean it can't be great. So when I think back to all the moments, of which there were several, Jeffrey Boss's pick six against Texas Tech, I said going into the game, and turned out to be right, that Oregon's playoff hopes were on the line in that game because I didn't think they were going to win that game and the Washington game on the road. And I was right. So that moment retroactively looks even more awesome. You think about Colorado and everybody's got their own thoughts on prime. I've got plenty of thoughts on prime. Here's one of them. I really enjoyed winning that game 42 to six. That was, that was fun. Spencer, you didn't play fine. I enjoyed watching the ducks beat Colorado 42 to six to remind them that college football is hard and you cannot change this thing overnight. They were a much improved team from a season ago, but they're not ready yet. They're getting better this off season. They're addressing their needs in the portal. Full props. That was a great feeling. I also remember playing USC who was a key factor in igniting the downfall of the conference that I hold dear and whose downfall I seriously lament for more than one reason. Beating USC and starting the game with two touchdowns in which our receivers, sorry, the Ducks receivers are not touched. Boy, I got to tell you, that one felt good. A big game against Utah, number 13 in the country. I don't harbor ill will towards Utah. I love Utah fans. I live amongst them. I absolutely love Utah fans. They're fantastic. They're great fans. They love their team. They're not nasty with anybody except maybe BYU, but that's, you know, there there are complicating factors there that lead to that. I love Utah fans. But when Oregon won that game 35 to 6, I thought, whoa. The Ducks didn't just go in and win in Salt Lake City. They won 35 to 6. Like, whoa, hey now. 
the old uh, call from uh, the Mariners broadcaster who I love, Dave Sims. Hey now, hey now, hey now. That was an eye opener there. So all those moments stand out. And I try to think about those. And then also appreciating that Dan Lanning, you know, against teams that, that he should beat by a lot, he just about always does. That wasn't the case two years ago. And I just don't miss that whatsoever. Beating Cal 63 to 19. Arizona State, uh, you know, whatever, the, what was the score of that game? 45 to 13, 49 to 13. I don't even remember. It was 42 nothing and a half. All that stuff. My my favorite moment, though, my absolute positive favorite moment from 2023 was beating Oregon State 31 to 7 for two reasons. Number one, most importantly, revenge for the disaster in Corvallis last year. I heard about that from Beaver fans nonstop for 365 days. I was tired of hearing about it. You know what makes an entire fan base? Quit yapping real quick. A 31 to 7 beatdown. It was a drubbing. Was not close. It was close for a half. Wasn't close for a full game. That's the first reason. The second reason that that game is number one for me is that it gave Oregon what they didn't have last year, which was a chance to play for a Pac 12 championship. The playoff hopes were alive. There was no greater feeling of joy and optimism for us as duck fans this year than beating Oregon state, a good football team, 31 to seven and realizing one win away from the playoff pac 12 championship game. Didn't have a repeat of last year, all that stuff. That's why I'd go with that one. Colorado would be probably a close second though, just because, you know, when they came in and stomped on the O and were, you know, talking smack before the game and just, you know, generally being disrespectful, which, you know, happens in a football game. Well, that's part of it. Smack talk. I'm here for it. But guess what? Don't give it if you can't take it. And they had to take it on the chin big time. I thought it was funny that I had some random comments on, uh, on videos on this channel after Oregon lost to Washington from Colorado fans. I'm like, guys, it's not your time yet. It could be one day. It's not right now. Relax. Chill. Okay. Um, Oregon added a kicker. Oregon added a kicker. We definitely need to talk about that. I'm going to knock out two quick mailbag questions, though, before we get to Atticus Sappington, which is a great name. This from Jeff. Do you see our secondary coverage getting better next year? I need to see all the moves in the defensive backfield and how good Sione Lalea is one of the top JUCO prospects in the country. Uh, Kyrie Jackson, by the way, one-time JUCO transfer to Alabama before he came to Oregon. Those guys can be pretty good. I don't expect it to be better. No. not At least not right now. I haven't seen all the moves they make. There's still going to be another portal window. You could still have more departures. Right now, you know, losing Kyrie Jackson, uh, you'd have to say the coverage takes a step back. How large of a step back? I, I don't know that we can uh, say for certain, but right now, no, I can't say I expect it to be dramatically better, uh, you know, from the corners, at least from the safeties, maybe a little bit with Kobe Savage, but Evan Williams was solid this year. Not always great, uh, but but solid. I think Savage is a really, really good cover guy in the back end. Uh, and then one more note 
Popo Omavai is not playing in the Fiesta Bowl, the defensive lineman, seventh year defensive lineman for the Ducks. But Brandon Dorless is. I am very here for Brandon Dorless playing in the Fiesta Bowl because, like I said, I want Oregon to have a big lead at the half, let Bo ride off into the sunset with a final touchdown drive, and then let Austin Novosad run the show. You run the show over at FanDuel. Well, if you haven't gone over there yet, then you, you should, because now really is the time. As the weather gets colder, the NFL offers stay hot on FanDuel. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150 bucks if your team wins. You don't have to bet the point spread against Liberty, which is currently 16.5 or 17, depending on where you look. It's a big number for Oregon. You just have to bet the money line. Bo Nix is playing. Bucky Irving's playing. Brandon Dorless is playing. Jackson Powers Johnson, Troy Franklin, Kyrie Jackson, they are not. Key losses, but guess what? I like Oregon in that game. I very much like Oregon in that game. And if you go over and bet $5 on the Ducks' money line, you get 150 bucks. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is super easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. All right, back into the mailbag here. Oh, wait, not yet. We got to talk about Atticus Sappington. So he comes over from Oregon State. He is 18 of 21 on field goals in his career. That's a good percentage. He's 64 of 66 in his career on PATs. So this has given Oregon fans a lot of optimism because Camden Lewis, after having a great start to the year, a second-team All-Pac-12 year last season, it was either second-team or honorable mention, but he was a good, reliable kicker in 2022. He was not in 2023 most notably in the Washington game, but also in the Pac-12 championship game, he was literally perfect. So he was ready for that particular moment, which props to him because that took a lot of intestinal fortitude there. But Oregon could have benefited, again, in that game in Seattle in particular, from having a really good, reliable field goal kicker. They did not have that. And after that Washington game, it was a mess. It was a mess time and time again. And I was saying going into the the Pac-12 title game, I don't want it to come down to a field goal because I don't trust Oregon with that particular unit. There was a bad snap and Lewis was missing kicks and all that sort of stuff. Well, Oregon now adds Sappington. So you add him with Grant Metters, the freshman, and then Gage Herrick, the uh, highly touted true freshman that'll come in in 2024 from West Lynn. I, I, I look at Sappington and say, okay, he's had a good career. He's, he's got the numbers and everything. I will believe that he is an incredibly reliable kicker when he makes a bunch of kicks for Oregon, particularly and potentially in pressure spots. Because coming into this year, I had no questions about Camden Lewis. None. Because why? Because last year, by any measure, he was a good, reliable kicker. And then he wasn't. And this is the reality with place kickers, especially in college when you're dealing with kids. It only takes one bad kick, one sequence to get between the ears, and it's a tough, lonely, awful place to be. It's like struggling on the mound whilst pitching or having a horrible day on the golf course. It's just you. 
Yeah, you got a holder and a snapper there, but let's be real. It's just you out there. So Sappington comes in with experience. He comes in with production. He's just coming over from Corvallis. So he's kicked in elements before. I get all that. I think he could be good. I just know that at any point in time, kickers can go haywire. And there could be a battle, you know, between Hurick and Metters and and Sappington. There could be. I don't know that you bring in a guy without like this without a guarantee he's a starting kicker. It could be a battle. It could be a battle. And I'd be okay with that. I I, I would be perfectly okay with that if these guys have to sharpen their skills and their mental games to make sure that they, you know, are, are, are actually the best guy for the job. That's what I'd like to have happen. So I'd be okay if it's competition, but if they feel Sappington's the best guy, then onward we go with Atticus Sappington, who apparently can run the football too. Um, if you know, you know, with that particular joke. Okay. Back to the mailbag here. This question from Nathaniel, 2024 recruits, non-transfers for early playing time. I've got McClellan, Breland, Rushing, Platt, and Flowers. My runners-up are Laulea and Sally Apaga. I'll go through each of these here. Jeremiah McClellan, high four-star composite wide receiver on 24-7 sports. I think playing time is tricky. You have to come in and immediately be better than both Kyler Casper, who is a highly rated composite four-star recruit himself and has already been in college football for two years with the Ducks, and Jurion Dickey, who's the first five-star receiver the Ducks have brought in since Cameron Colvin. And Colvin, you know, was a good player. I don't know about a five-star kind of guy, but in in terms of living up to that level of hype, with Treshawn Holden, Gary Bryant Jr., and potentially Tez Johnson in there, I, I I struggle to see a lot of playing time for a true freshman. If he does, that means he is an out-of-this-world stud. I think that one's tough. Aiden Breland, interior defensive lineman, five-star. Yep, totally see it. The uh, Derek Harmon, the potential defensive tackle transfer, Oregon and brought on for a visit for Michigan State. He's going to stay with Jonathan Smith and company in East Lansing and will play at Odson Stadium next year wearing that Spartan green and – that creates, you know, a void on the interior of the defensive lineman with Walter Nolan going to Ole Miss. So that is an absolute position of need. No Popo, no Dorless, no Taki Taimani, no Casey Rogers. Those are your top four interior defensive linemen. So Breland, yeah, I could see him making an impact. Elijah Rushing. There's precedent for a five-star true freshman edge or any true freshman edge to make an impact if they're good enough because we saw three of them do it this year. Mace Funa, out of the rotation now. Amari and Winston's still in there. You've got the three freshmen coming back. Blake Purchase, Tatum Tuioti, and Mateo Uyunglele, who all I, I thought did great this year. Yeah, I mean, I could I could see rushing making him making an impact. I, I think it'd be, be probably similar to what those three guys did this year, and I'd be here for it. Braden Platt, linebacker. I don't know. Because right now it looks like Justin Jacobs and Jeffrey Bossa, your top two linebackers, are back next year. Now, Jamal Hill is is gone because of graduation. Connor Soley didn't do a ton this year. I don't know if he's back next year. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Platt is the highest rated linebacker in the class. You still have Devin Jackson in the room. He he played uh, you know, a pretty decent role this year for the Ducks. 
I would think Platt would be behind those guys. But, yeah, I could see him maybe cracking it too deep. Um, I don't know if he's a starter. Aaron Flowers at safety. Yeah, I think I agree with you there. Because Oregon brought in Kobe Savage. That's one safety. Here are the safeties they're going to lose going into next year. Brian Addison, Evan Williams, Steve Stevens, and Damon David. One guy comes in, four guys go out. Two of which were starters, one of which was a regular rotation player this year, one of which was not. So there's a void. There's an opportunity there. If he can beat out Cody DeCambra and Tyler Turner, then yep. I could see, I, I could absolutely see Aaron Flowers uh, playing in 2024. My runners up are Sione Laulea and uh, Roger Saliapaga. Yeah, so Saliapaga is a tight end wide receiver type. I, I, I don't see him getting big minutes, uh, especially if Tiford comes back. You know, Saliapaga is listed as a wide receiver. I think the plan is for him to play tight end, but he's kind of that in between type. Kenyon Sadiq is going to be ahead of him, Patrick Herbert will be ahead of him. Casey Kelly, if he comes back, would be ahead of him. And Terrence Ferguson, Terrence Ferguson, if he comes back, that's your number one tight end, obviously. So I don't think Sally Apaga plays a ton as a true freshman. Sione Lalea, though, yeah, I expect him to play. He's not really a true freshman. He's closer to a transfer. I know he's listed as a non-transfer, but he's coming from the JUCO ranks. He's an experienced guy. He'll be playing in the secondary. I fully, fully expect that to happen. Uh, last one here from... Uh, M caught me two nine seven seven C A H T M E. Ask Brian who got the better D line class between Oregon and Miami. He said Miami could have the best twenty four D line class. I want him to compare and contrast uh, what we got. So I definitely will ask Brian. But I wanted to comment on this uh, just kind of to wrap up today's show. Anyone who follows Oregon recruiting, and if you listen to the show regularly, then by default you also follow Oregon recruiting because I talk about it pretty often here on the show knows that I think next year's defensive line can be filthy good and I think the the, the defensive line after that could be filthy good you'll have purchase and Uyungle and Tuyoti as juniors you'll have a rushing and Breland maybe as sophomores you know we'll see who pops from the 2023 class next year we'll see if a guy like I don't know, Tione Gray or Zadavian Sims are, you know, flying under the radar as four-star recruits as much as you can on the defensive line there. I, I think one thing is clear. We should expect to see high-level defensive line play year in and year out because of the way that Dan Lanning, Tosh Lupoy uh, recruit, coach, and, and develop those guys. I think it's been a really good start, and I can't wait to see what they do uh, with all those guys because there are a lot of talented players in there. Appreciate everyone listening. I will see you next time. Have a wonderful rest of your day. No show tomorrow. Back on Monday. Until then, go Ducks.